Get ahead of postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. What's going on, Dodgers Nation? D-Mac here, and it's a special day because today I'm joined by ESPN's Buster Only. Buster is going to be covering the Dodgers-Padres series this weekend on Sunday Night Baseball, a 4-10 Pacific first pitch. You got Mookie Betts mic'd up, the original mic'd up Mookie Betts. I'm looking forward to hearing those show chains rocking, learning some interesting stuff from Mookie. But Buster, what's going on, my man? Not much. Uh, good to be with you. Yeah, excited for this weekend. I was talking with Carl Ravage this morning, you know, play-by-play man on Sunday Night Baseball, and I said to him, if we did a Mount Rushmore of mic'd up players, you know, Mookie, Mookie would be, you know, the George Washington, I think. Yeah, Mookie's the best. You hear the show chains. I love that. But also, you learned some cool stuff. Last year, we learned about him hanging out with Chris Brown and Nelly, the self-help books, the David Goggins books he was reading. So you never know what you're going to find out with Mookie Betts. But let's hop right into this series, because the first thing I want to touch on is just the magnitude of this series. With the shorter schedule, you're not playing them 19 times. You're playing them 13 times. The Dodgers will have played almost half the games against the Padres in the next two weeks. So it's more weight, more significance and I think this rivalry is one of the great budding rivalries not just in the division but I think this is the best rivalry in baseball right now would you agree with that Buster 100% agree uh you know when you think back to you know the intensity of the the fans last year during the playoffs uh the responsiveness to the players uh you know Dodger Stadium obviously the most attended ball games and then down in San Diego they probably right now have the most passion in any park that you'll see a lot of excitement around that team. And I agree with you to highlight the number of games they play. I personally was one of the people who didn't like the change in the schedule. I like the division rivals facing each other a whole lot because there's less opportunity for these guys to, you know, to chase down a Padres, chase down a Dodger team uh, and to, uh, you know, to, to play. So we, we get the opportunity of seeing one of those games. Yeah. And when you consider the battles that these two teams have had over the past few seasons, when you consider the star power that both of these teams have, they're battling for a World Series title. But also last season, the Padres, they slayed the Dragon. They beat the 111 win Dodgers team, a team that had won 22 more games than them in the regular season. I want to ask you, how big do you think that was for that Padres organization? I mean, just how significant was that series win enormous uh it was huge you know I grew up uh, as you know huge fan of the Dodgers huge fan of the Lakers and I remember you know for years uh in the NBA if the question for the Pistons was could they get back the Lakers 
And then the question was, could get the Bulls get past the Pistons? There's always that big brother, little brother rivalry that's going on with the, the little brother needing to learn how to beat the big brother. And the Padres probably even surprised themselves a little bit with how well they played against the Dodgers in the playoffs. So I think that allowed them to take a step forward. They build on that with a really aggressive offseason. Uh, you know, they tried to sign Trey Turner. They weren't able to, uh, even though they had the biggest offer on the table. They tried to sign Aaron Judge, and they weren't able to, even though they had the biggest offer on the table. But they do wind up with Xander Bogarts offering him 75% more than what the Boston Red Sox offered. And now you have this team full of stars. You know, normally when I covered the Padres, you know, 20 years ago or 30 years ago, the idea that the Padres would have more stars in their lineup, big name stars, was not something you think was even possible. But with the front four guys in the in the uh, San Diego lineup, it's a potentially a formidable team if they play well. Yeah, no, that is a terrifying quartet they have down there in San Diego. And especially when you consider that with the return of Fernando Tatis Jr., they've gone eight and four. They're averaging over five runs per game before him, averaging a little over three runs per game. That offense is going to start to take off. But yeah, look, it is settled. This is officially a rivalry at the moment. There's more fuel on this rivalry. I love the fact you brought up a basketball analogy because that's kind of how it feels for me. We know the Celtics and Lakers, that's the rivalry, but this almost feels like a Suns versus Lakers or a Kings versus Lakers, where as long as the Padres are contenders, this will be a rivalry, but it's not going to have that timeless feel like the Giants do. So it is officially a rivalry. I want to talk about this Dodgers team, too. We're going to circle back to the Padres, but I want to get your thoughts on this year's Dodger team and how they've come out of the gates because they started, they were hovering right around 500. The bullpen was struggling. The starting pitching really wasn't excellent. The offense was a little boomer buzz. Well, they really have taken off of late. They've won eight of their last 10 games. They're coming on back-to-back sweeps. First, the Cardinals and then the Phillies. What's your overall assessment of this Dodgers team early on? What do you like? Just kind of what are your first impressions of this year's Dodgers team? Yeah, it's interesting because if you were to measure them against the incredible success they had last year with 111 wins, you'd say, well, they're not as good as they were last year. But you know what? I I think they're actually better than what people expected because of the fact, I mean, let's face it, they weren't aggressive. The assumption around the sport is that they're going to use the money they saved this past offseason and they're going to take a big run at Shohei Otani. And I think you would be amazed at how many people assume that's where Otani's going to play in 2024. But with the pieces that they do have for this year, it feels like they're sort of sorting through it. Uh, you know, Outman now establishing himself in the outfield. Jason Hayward, to me, is one of the coolest stories in baseball. Uh, you know, this is a guy who essentially was just dumped on the scrap heap by the Cubs with a year left on his contract. Dodgers picking him up for minimum salary. And they were able to be the team that seems to have un, uh, you know, found the, the magic for that one issue he's had his whole career in which he has struggled to get to fastballs. Uh, and, you know, Robert Vance Goyak doing his job. Um, I, I do think over time their pitching needs to be better. You know, it seems weird to see the a Los Angeles Dodgers pitching staff with an ERA right in the middle of the pack, you know, not in the top two or three. But I think that'll get better as the season goes along and as they find more solutions with their staff. 
Yeah, I love that you bring up Jason Hayward because I think that is one of the themes of this year's team because Hayward, like you said, the Cubs, they basically said, we're done with this guy. I remember asking Jason during spring training, why'd you pick the Dodgers? Because everyone said, oh, it's because of Freddie Freeman. He said the Dodgers, they were the first team that called. I think they wanted to try to really have him rediscover that swing. I think he's refound his swing at the plate. I also think he brings those leadership qualities. He's already emerged as a prominent leader in that Dodgers clubhouse. And then you bring up James Altman. He brings that youth. He's going to be in the mix for the Rookie of the Year award. You also have Miguel Vargas. Uh, What I would ask you, though, was that team last year, they won 111 games. Is there anything that you think that this team has that even if they don't win 111 games, that they'll be better equipped to win in the postseason? Uh, And this is presumptuous of me, I think, to assume this, but I kind of wonder if getting their butts kicked last year by the Padres was a a good reminder. I've seen so many teams through the years who will feed off the the anger, the adrenaline of unexpectedly losing a series, series. Because you know the Dodgers, you know, having won the World Series in 2020, having all that great regular season success last year, they went in the playoffs feeling really good about themselves. And they probably were shocked to be at home in the third week of October rather than playing for a championship. And so that fuel, I I bet you they're riding it into this season. And as they go through this year, and they're going to have to grind it out, let's face it, because it's not as dominant as a team as it was last year. And the Padres are a better regular season team. The Diamondbacks are better. We've seen the Giants play better of late. Um, I I think that's going to help them. You know, the best example I can remember of a team doing that, uh, I covered the 1998 Yankees who set a record with 125 wins, including the postseason. Part of what drove them the whole year was they were knocked out of the first round of the playoffs the year before by Cleveland, and it really pissed off the players all year. And I wonder if there'll be times during the course of this year in the playoffs where the Dodgers will benefit from what happened last year. I love that. So it's going to be a revenge tour season Dodgers. They have the hit list. They got to cross off those names and the Padres are right at the top of that list. But I want to talk a little bit about the Padres as well, because like we talked about at the top of the show, they have one of the most impressive explosive lineups in the game. You make that trade for Juan Soto. You also added Josh Hader. Then this offseason, you bring in Xander Bogart to sign him to an 11 year deal. They were trying to get Aaron Judge. They were trying to get Trey Turner. Peter Seidler is determined to win a World Series, but there are some concerns about about their depth, about the five through nine in their lineup, they their starting pitching staff. Yes, they have some really good starters, but none of those top five guys. Do you have any concerns about that Padres team? If you had to point out a potential weakness, what would it be? I do think the pitching, and we've seen that early on. You know, uh, although they've got some some big names in that rotation, they like the Dodgers are in the middle of the pack with the ERA. You uh, Darvish, you know, having just signed that extension. Early on, it, it kind of reminds me of Max Scherzer right now. You have two older right-handers who've thrown a ton of pitches, uh, you know, compete like crazy. And early on, you Darvish's stuff doesn't look doesn't look the same. Maybe over the course of the summer, uh, he'll build some velocity and he'll get better. Uh, you know, getting Joe Musgrove back and I think in order is going to be a real key for them. That's why I'm I, I'm excited to see what we see out of Joe on Sunday night uh, to see how that progress goes. They have to get better with pitching. There are a couple things about that that's interesting because clearly, I mean, we we have seen over the years, the Dodgers have been one of the most aggressive teams in baseball at the trade deadline, whether it's, you know, to deal for Manny Machado, to deal for you, Darvish. Uh, In the last two years, the Padres have indicated they're all in. They're ready to do things. What I hear from rival executives is 
they really don't believe there's going to be that much quality available at the trade deadline. You know, uh, I've been told by sources, look, the Angels are not going to trade Otani. Uh, and then when you look at some of the uh, worst teams in baseball that might potentially be sellers like Oakland, I had one executive say to me, who do you want on that roster? There's nobody on that roster that's actually going to be a difference maker. So in some respects, Dodgers, Padres, what you see might be what you get, what you have the rest of the year. As one executive said, uh, you're going to need to find some solutions from within your organization. The Dodgers are better equipped, I think, in that over the course of uh, 162 games. See, I find that very interesting because, of course, trade rumors are kind of the lifeblood of what I do. I love trade rumors. I need them to happen. But with the expanded postseason, with more teams in the mix, yes. you're going to see less talent really changing hands during the course of the season. But you did mention a name in Shohei Otani, and I would be remiss if I didn't touch on that a little bit. You said that you don't think the Angels will trade him during the season. And really, things are starting to look up for the Angels. They're only a game out in the AL West. They're one game behind the Texas Rangers. But let's say they fall out of contention. Let's say they fall out of contention pretty badly, and it looks like the Angels might consider trading him. Do you think that if the Dodgers put together the best package that Artie Moreno would consider trading Shohei to the Dodgers? Or do you think that that's just a non-starter because of who the Dodgers are? That doesn't matter if they give their top 50 prospects that he would never trade him to the other team in L.A. So there are a lot of layers that uh, you just laid out, uh, and I'll go through them one by one. Uh at this point, I mean, the Angels are doing fine in the American League West. In that divisional context, I really believe changed by the events of last week when Urquidy goes down for the Astros uh, and then Garcia goes down for the Astros. Luis Garcia the other day with injuries that could turn out to be significant. 40% of their rotation out the window. So all of a sudden you look at the American League West, you know what? Angels have a real shot in that division. Uh, considering how they're playing now. So in order for them to be into a position where they would not trade or they would have trade Otani, you laid out, let's say they totally collapsed. At this point, with only three months to go before the trade deadline, what would that mean? Going 20 and 60? I just don't see it. You know, the division is so, uh, at this point, compacted. The Rangers are better. The Mariners, you know, were good last year. Uh, the Astros will be competitive and, and maybe return repeat as champions. But I don't think there's a dominant team out there. So the I think the Angels are going to hang in there. I also think that, uh, you know, Artie Moreno, it would take a lot of guts on his part to trade Otani. Because let's face it. In a roaring stadium. Their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. If he, if Otani gets the end of the year and stays with the Angels and he walks away as a free agent, Artie's kind of free and clear. Hey, you know what? That was Otani's decision. On the other hand, if he's the guy who delivers Shohei Otani, the greatest two-way player in the history of baseball, he's going to be remembered like Harry Frazee, the guy who delivered Babe Ruth out of Boston. That is a that's something I just don't think he's be, going to be willing to take on. And let's say, uh, just for for conversation's sake, the Angels did collapse, and Artie decided he was going to trade him. I agree with your premise. I don't see him d- delivering. 
uh, Otani to the Dodgers. And I mentioned a lot of people already assume that's where Otani's going to wind up next year. Uh, I think the Mets would make a really competitive offer. Their owner, Steve Cohen, is very much in it. And they've got position players. And unlike the situation with Otani's free agency, he would have no control over who he gets traded to in the middle of the season. I think the Mets would probably be create a good option for the Angels if they were to market Otani. But I've been told he's not being traded. Very interesting. And you mentioned Harry Frazee. Hey, he had to get some money for that Broadway show. No, no, Nanette. Okay. So he had to get that deal done to get some money for that. But one more Otani question. I promise you, do you expect the Dodgers to go all in on him this off season? I do. Uh, and I expect the Mets to go in on him all off season. Uh, you know, we talked and you, I'm sure you've talked a lot about the, the Dodgers and how they structured some of their offers this past offseason, one-year deals with guys like J.D. Martinez, picking up a Jason Hayward in part to create some fex, uh, payroll flexibility to go after Otani. Well, at the same time, the Mets have been doing the same thing with the richest owner of baseball. Uh, they have the two highest-paid pitchers in the history of baseball in terms of average annual salary, Max Scherzer and Justin Verlander, but both those guys are on short-term uh, d- deals. And I think that they will be in a position to throw a huge offer at Otani. And and I and in watching sort of the storm clouds gather and off in the distance for this to, to go down, I keep thinking back to the bidding war between the two teams over Trevor Bauer, right? Where it looked like the Mets were going to sign Bauer and they felt like they had advantage. And all of a sudden the Dodgers swooped in. And there were people involved in that bidding who absolutely thought it came down to a little bit of a you know, who, who's the, the biggest billionaire uh, between Mark Walters and Steve Cohen? And I think the same thing will happen with Otani. The question is, uh, you know, we saw during this most recent offseason, we referenced Judge and Trey Turner uh, turn down bigger offers to go to desired places. Judge wanted to stay with the Yankees. Turner wanted to go to the Phillies. The question is, will Otani, if the Mets throw out a ridiculous number, $600 million plus, which I think is possible, would the Dodgers chase that number? And does it matter for Otani? None of us thought that he was going to wind up with the Angels the last time we were around. I, I, and I can't say that I have a feel for where he's going to go. But you know what? Uh, it, it's going to be fascinating to watch during the course of the wintertime. $600 million for a player that could be the MVP and the Cy Young Award winner. And like I've been saying, if he wants to go to New York, we'll just move the Dodgers back to Brooklyn if that's the case, okay? We have to find <laughs> in Dodger Blue. But one more trade angle I want to take is talk about the Chicago White Sox team because this White Sox team, they have been plummeting. You've seen a disgruntled fan base. If you look at their playoff odds per fan graphs, it was at 30.5% before this season. That number is down to 4.2%. Pakoda wow. has their playoff odds down to 3 They have the second worst run differential in Major League Baseball at minus 66. Now, they have a lot of pieces on that team. Tim Anderson is back from injury. You know, the Dodgers might consider adding a shortstop. You got Lucas Giolito. He's a local kid from Harvard-Westlake. You got Liam Hendricks, who hasn't pitched, but he's going to be back. Do you expect the White Sox to be sellers? And I'm having a hard time getting a read on that because their owner of the team is such an X factor, Jerry Reinsdorf, uh, who actually I met when I was 15. And the reason why uh, we met was because he saw me wearing a Dodgers cap. I went to the same high school that his son did. I was wearing a Dodger cap. And so 15 year old me not having any idea who Jerry Reinsdorf was like said, were you, are you a Dodger fan? And he goes, I was a Dodger fan. He was a huge fan of the Brooklyn Dodgers growing up. 
He is known as the most loyal owner in baseball. He's also in his mid-80s. Do we think that he's going to blow up his team entirely in mid-season and essentially signal a three- or four-year rebuild? I don't know. Like, they need to keep Tim Anderson. (laughs) You could trade Tim Anderson, and, you know, a team like the Dodgers absolutely would make sense. Uh, Maybe on a short term, the Braves might make some sense. But I don't know if Jerry's actually going to put all these guys out there. And when it comes to Lucas Giolito and when it comes to Lance Lynn, another marketable piece they have, both those guys have to perform better. That's what I'm hearing from other executives. Like, for Giolito, you know, great guy, uh, his – the, the amount of time that's gone by since he's been that dominant guy we saw a couple years ago, it's been a while now. Liam Hendricks, I, I think you're right to point him out because I think if they did decide to retool for 24, I can't see him doing a total rebuild. Liam Hendricks would be the sort of guy that would have a lot of value in the open market. A team like the Mets, uh, you know, a Dodgers needing help in the bullpen, he'd be attractive to both those clubs. Yeah, and Hendricks has a very interesting clause in his contract where he has that $15 million club option that automatically goes into effect if he is traded. Do you think the Dodgers would be better served by having an everyday closer, a go-to defined guy in that role? Uh, It's interesting because I know, generally speaking, you know this too, the front office isn't wild about that, right? They've been very comfortable going another way. I was surprised, for example, when they traded for Craig Kimbrell because I thought, boy, that doesn't really fit what they're doing. And it didn't turn out the way that they wanted to. But I think Liam Hendricks is so good as long as he's healthy and he's been able to you know, bounce back. He'll be able to bounce back from the cancer treatments this spring. He's going to be a guy that every contender will want, especially in, you know, we, we discussed what a thin market it looks like it's going to be. Yeah, he brings that fire. He brings that passion. Yeah. Dave Roberts having that push-button bullpen, a guy you can trust there. I like the idea, so I'm very high on that. So a few more questions, and I'm going to get you out of here, Buster. So I'm going to circle back to this Dodgers versus Padres series, which you're going to be covering this Sunday on Sunday Night Baseball, first pitch, 410 Pacific. We talk about the top four in each team's lineup. you got some of the best hitters in the game. When you're talking about Sander Bogarts, you're talking about Juan Soto, Manny Machado, you're talking about Fernando Tatis Jr., then you look at this. Dodgers lineup got Mookie Betts, Freddie Freeman, Will Smith, and now a Max Muncy who's looking like a legitimate MVP contender early on. If you had to go with one of those two top fours, who are you going wow. with? That, see, that's not fair. That is not a fair question. <laughs> I'm just, uh, oh Dodgers. my gosh. You know, and they're so, I, I mean, Mookie is just how much confidence once he gets on a roll, uh, how much damage he can do. He's so effective. Nobody's better in terms of putting the ball in play than Freddie Freeman with damage. And he's gotten better over time. Uh, Max, you know, looks terrible early on and now he's going nuts and he's going to contend for the home run crown. Good Lord. I I think maybe I'm going to completely be gutless and I'm going to take as my out the fact that Will Smith can't really be a 162 game a year player because he's a catcher. Okay. That that's me not wanting to choose between the two teams. Uh, You know, a few weeks ago, we had the Padres and I asked Bob Melvin uh, about, you know, what he was going to do with his lineup when Tatis Jr. came back. And he talked about the impact of Tatis that he saw in spring training and watching him lead off and how it seemed to just have this enormous energy impact on the other players. I think we've seen that early on. Besides the fact that guy's a great hitter and he's super fast on the bases, 
having that extra guy in that front four is really good. Uh, if I were to take the Dodgers now, it would be based on the fact that Juan Soto is still sorting through some of his mechanical issues. It's clear he's pulling off the ball. He's opening up in his swing too much. Um, I do think eventually he's going to sort that out. He's such a good hitter. He's a smart guy. Uh, but that among the eight hitters right now, that's probably the most vulnerable spot. Okay, that's fair. It's like picking between a Rolls Royce and a Ferrari, a mansion in Bel Air or Beverly Hills. It's okay. I Pick between my kids, you know? Yeah, no, like, come totally on. Fair, totally fair. So a few more here. Okay, one thing I want to ask you was, if you look at this Dodgers bullpen, they have been dominant. This Dodgers pitching staff, they've been dominant over the last seven years. And they've had a, a perceived advantage. They've had a clear-cut advantage when it comes to utilizing the shift. They've utilized the shift better than any team in Major League Baseball. If you look at their batting average on balls in play, if you look at the soft contact, they've always had the advantage this season the tides have turned a little bit in that respect with these new rules it doesn't feel like the dodgers have the cheat code as much how much has the the playing field been leveled with these new rules i i look and and i haven't seen them in person uh in the way that you probably have so far early this year so i i'm gonna reserve judgment on whether or not the rules are you know something that have had a major impact on them and I wonder if it's more about the ebb and flow of a season. Uh, and there's no more volatile group of performers than the bullpen. Uh, and that's just a fact. And, and you know this as someone who follows the Dodgers. A great example of that was a team that won the 2019 World Series, the, the Washington Nationals. The first half of their, that season, they literally had the worst bullpen in, in baseball uh, by ERA. They were terrible. And then they did a little bit of tinkering, and then a couple guys got hot. They added a couple guys, and by the end of the year, they were the team that was dogpiling with Dan- Daniel Hudson closing out games. So I, I – and also especially knowing the Dodgers and how well they know pitching and how well they know, like the Tampa Bay Rays, how to get the best out of particular relievers, I'm going to give them more time uh, in, and uh, you know more leeway – I think to see if the performance comes out of that bullpen. I think they obviously have work to do. It's been a surprisingly poor start. I mentioned you don't see the Dodgers where they are uh, pitching struggles like this. But I think eventually they're going to get there. Yeah, they're always going to figure things out. You're going to put them in Dr. Mark Pryor's pitching lab. They'll definitely turn things around. But I do just believe that to have pitchers that have the ability to miss bats is going to be at a premium more than ever. I do love the fact the Dodgers last two weeks, they're just second behind the Pittsburgh Pirates when it comes to stolen bases. So they are taking advantage of the new rules. But last question here, Buster. And if you can pass on this one too, put you on the spot a little bit. Who is winning the NL West? Is it going to be the Dodgers or the Padres? I'm going to stick with my preseason pick, and I'm going to say the Padres. Um, I think the star power and also the the extraordinarily, extraordinarily motiva- motivated nature of their owner, Peter Seidler. Um, when we get to the trade deadline, we talked about how few assets there are going to be available. The Padres farm system has been largely stripped down with the deals they've made in recent years. But it feels like that if this were a poker game, uh, you know, a neighborhood poker game. It's like the Padres are the, you know, the the person who's put, you know, not only the money in, but also the mortgage to the the deed to the house, the watch, the car, everything. And so I think when we get to the deadline, whatever value the Padres have reestablished with their young prospects, they're going to put it in the middle of the table. Where on the other hand, at the moment, do I feel like the Padre or the Dodgers are necessarily going to do that? I don't. 
You know, I think they're going to feel like, look, if we get into the playoffs, we'll be okay. Uh, Where on the other hand, with the Padres right now, it's World Series or bust. And I do think because of that, you'll see some upgrades during the year. Yeah, no, I think that definitely is how it feels. That's the sense I get, too. They are all, and if they can make one more move for a starting pitcher down in San Diego, I think they'll do that. As long as they flip the script and they can win the division, as long as the Dodgers beat them in the postseason, I think Dodgers fans will be fine with that. But we thank you so much for joining us. The great Buster only here at Dodgers. Nate, you can catch Buster. He's covering the Dodgers Padres series on Sunday Night Baseball. Mookie Betts is going to get mic'd up. You don't want to miss that. But thanks, Buster. I appreciate it. Always love talking with you. All right. Take it easy, my man. In a roaring stadium, their silence is deafening. 136 Israelis are still being held hostage by Hamas. Bring them home. 